When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this. This place doesn't look like the pictures. Ah! Is there a door behind all those spiders? It's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation. Ah, this is perfect. Relax, you booked a Verbo. Packages by Expedia. You were made to be rechargeable. We were made to package flights, hotels, and hammocks for less. Expedia. Made to travel. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to a very special Thanksgiving edition of With Friends Like These. In this episode, I am revisiting a conversation I had with John Moe. We did a cross-pod conversation. We'll talk a little bit more about it when he comes into the studio. But it is a little bit different than um, the regular weekly shows. It's not directly about politics. It's more about self-care. I think it's just as important and as the holidays approach, uh, probably more urgent. Enjoy the show. John Moe, welcome to the show. Thank you, Anna. How would you like to introduce yourself? Because I'm going to make you introduce yourself. Oh, boy. Because uh, you have so many things going on. <laughs> I wear a lot of hats, figuratively, not literally. Not literally. I don't wear hats. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I I always because I host a podcast, uh, I always identify chiefly as a writer because pe- <laughs> people don't realize, especially in public radio and I'm, I'm sure in commercial radio, too, that it's almost all writing and editing. And then once in a while you get to go to a microphone and have a conversation or read a small portion of your writing. And um, so, yeah, you could say that or you could say that I'm the host of the podcast, The Hilarious World of Depression. You are all those things and more. And more. Uh, and I'm. you are back on this show because a while back yes. we did a podcast together, sort of a cross-pod. Yes, cross-podination. We, we sat down and talked to each other about life and, and our mental health and things that we do not often reveal to people. And boy, did we record a hit single with that conversation. We did. Uh it worked for your show, although I'm not a comedian, which is sort of the premise of your show. <laughs> well, I, it's expanded but to funny people. You are a funny I am person. A, yeah. Looks aren't everything. Ah. Um, uh, but I'm a funny person who uh, has depression and anxiety, and I'm actually bipolar. And uh, I was on your show. That's the gimmick gimmick theme. Sure. Motif. Motif of your show. And then my show is about uncomfortable conversations or conversations about differences. Mm -hmm. And so it worked. And not a super traditional episode for either of us, but it is the episode that I've gotten the most feedback on. Yeah, usually. Anything I've ever done. I edit an interview within an inch of its life. I spend so much time chopping up and moving around and writing script to kind of narrate my way through it. And the, the ground rules that we set up going into that conversation is... No edits. Mm-hmm. We're just going to talk. And then uh, when we hit stop, then that's the end of the conversation. That's what we put out there. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, do we want to talk about what we sure. talked about? We can give it. Of course, uh, the link to that show will be in the show notes. Yes. But it was it was about specifically about suicide. Yeah. Um, it was my part was I was talking about how I was inspired to to kind of make the show and to have a lot of ongoing conversations about mental illness and mental health by the suicide of my brother and um, the issues attendant with that uh, as a, as a survivor of suicide and kind of the, the guilt that I felt for not being able to prevent it and feeling like I had something to do with it and kind of wrestling with 
it's sort of an age old theme in any mental health discussion, which is the reality that you objectively know to be true versus the emotional reality that you feel in your gut. And sometimes those are very much at odds. Right. And you talked about uh, a pivotal event in your life. I talked about uh, my final, hopefully, a suicide attempt and the attempt that was my bottom of my journey in recovery. And we won't revisit too much of that conversation. I do hope people listen to it. Uh, suffice to say, it was a very frank discussion yes. and more frank than I probably than I ever had been before. And actually, I don't know if I'll ever be that frank again. I don't think I need to be that. It's kind of a perfect storm. We, we, we covered it. Yeah. And the reason that you're back, though, is that in addition to that show being a, a show that I get a lot of feedback about, I get a couple of specific kinds of feedback. One is how how do you live now? Mm. Like, I hear I heard your story, identified with your story. What do you do now that keeps you in recovery, that keeps you healthy? And then I also get another question, sometimes attached to that particular episode and sometimes just more generally, which is, you do this show where you deal with all this really heavy stuff. And how do you do that? How do you do that like week in and week out? Yeah. And, and how do you manage it? And I imagine this is something that you also think about <laughs> yes. and are asked. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so my show, we we talk about people's lives and like their personal history, their journey through comedy, if they're a professional comedy person and their journey through and with their mental illnesses um, because it's almost always plural. Depression mm -hmm. doesn't write alone. It's part of a band. It's not a solo artist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's an ongoing debate that we have of if depression and anxiety are Hall and Oates, which one is which? <laughs> I believe wow. depression to be Oates and Hall to be anxiety. Wow. Yeah. And um, <laughs> mania, like yeah, is the percussion, mania, you know, yeah, could like, be like a, a guest artist. Yeah. In there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I deal with this all the time and I deal with people writing in all the time. I mean, we taught you give our email address and we keep our DMs open on our Twitter and everything. And it's been um, it's been really hard uh, to kind of figure out the right path to to walk down um, and and. It is it is definitely a path. When we, um, you know, started making the show, I would sit there and you know be prepping these interviews and and then kind of editing the interviews, going through making a show out of them. And I realized, okay, I've gone from dealing with depression as a thing in my life for many many years to now having it take up all my work day as well, and. It got really tough and I'd have to go for a lot of walks. I had little coping mechanisms like uh, ghost videos on YouTube, like real paranormal sightings caught on tape. Like people people putting things on YouTube that they believed to be ghost sightings. To be ghost sightings, yes. Okay. Or or time travel evidence or Bigfoots. Big feet? Like sincere Yes. Post? Okay. Oh, All right. Yes. All right. And uh, and for I and I just can't get enough of that stuff. Which isn't to say I believe it, but I just uh, it's a change of pace. So I I use a little bit of that. Um, and what helped me with the show was after a while I started thinking of all these stories of all these people as comeback stories mm. because the act of talking about what was going on. The act of sharing that with me and with the public and and with other people that they knew 
um, was along the way to treatment, really, because it was a signaling that they didn't want to be alone anymore, that they didn't want to suffer through this as their own private shame and curse, which is how I treated it for Mm -hmm. decades uh, with my depression. And uh, so that made me feel really good. And it wasn't even that necessarily these people were were cured because that's not really how mental illness works. Uh, And it's not like they would ever never have to deal with it again. But it was that they had come to uh, an understanding of at least what they were up against. And so in that regard, it felt very inspirational to me. I think that there's a lot of parallels to what this show does and what you're talking about. Uh, One of them is that, you know, we have an email address as well, and uh, we should open our DMs on the on the Twitter. We'll do that. Um, I'm afraid of the, I'm afraid of open DMs. But the term for the, floodgate comes right, to mind. right, right. Yeah. But for for maybe the for the show Twitter account, maybe we can do that. But we get a, a lot of mail, and there is a part of me that finds the similarities that run through the mail to be depressing. Mm-hmm. And then there's a part of me, of course, that finds some hope there because the most common kinds of email we get, because this is what the show deals with, is people wanting to talk with someone who they disagree with yeah. or people who have a relationship in their life that has been negatively affected by a difference in politics or a difference in race or a difference in sexuality. Like mm-hmm. they want to engage and are having trouble engaging. And the fact that this is such a universal experience, apparently, that people are having can be heartbreaking, but people are trying to do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the hope. I mean, I have, I have no use personally for, I guess, content we call it now or art or uh, anything that, that has no hope to it mm-hmm. where it's just uh, here is the bleak horribleness of it. And now death, I, I just <laughs> like, there may be a legitimacy to it. I just can't do it. Like the movie Cape Fear is what I always think of the the Robert De Niro remake. Like in the end, all all that shows us is that everybody's horrible and primitive and murderous. Roll credits, and I just can't. <laughs> I can't take that in. I mean, I. But I I should say too on the DMs because I think this is an important distinction. We have the DMs for our show open on my own Twitter at John Mo. I don't. I, I no longer have the DMs right. open. I did for a while because I wanted to, because the show was, was taking off and it was getting popular and I, I kind of wanted to uh, be available for people. And people started to write in faster than I could respond. And then somebody wrote to me and said, if I DM you, you should at least write back and say that you got the message. Well, well and, then. <laughs> and it was a real turning point. And, you know, I, I the person later apologized because and she said, I, I'm sort of new to Twitter. I probably was inappropriate. But it was this moment of like, maybe I don't owe everybody everything. And maybe I don't need to put maybe I've already put far more of myself out into the public sphere than most people do. And uh, maybe I need to draw some boundaries. Yeah, I think so. I feel like we're getting into the discussion I wanted to have, which is like, how do you, you personally, John Moe, and me personally, Anna Marie Cox, like deal with the job that we have chosen to do, which is engage in difficult stuff. And then also I wanted to offer people who are listening ways to think about their own experience Mm -hmm. that might help them navigate this time, which is, I mean, just shitty. (laughs) Like, it is just, we are living in an age where 
it is not hopeless, yeah. but there is just a lot of bad news in the world. Mm-hmm. And it does not seem as leavened as it used to be. Yeah. And it's it's an anxious time. You you feel like you could, you know, look at Twitter or look at the news at any moment and like the sea is boiling. <laughs> yeah. Eagles have guns now. Well, you know, it was ice, Arctic ice is melting and the polar bears are starving. And yep. anyway, so I think that so what I heard in our first part of our conversation is, number one, there's sort of a shift. You, you can always shift your perspective on what it is you're doing. And that's like the larger thing that I think both you and I have tried to do, which is to see what we're doing as a part of the solution mm-hmm. and that engaging with it that way. Number two, uh, boundaries. Boundaries are good. Boundaries are essential. Boundaries are good. And they have all kinds of forms. They have, you know, work-life forms, which I all, I, the thing about being a writer, as you know, is that it could be 24 hours a day if you want. That mm-hmm. job can be all-consuming. Yes. Is why I value the fact that I'm married to a civilian. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> who really just gets off work at the end of the day. And is done. And he, he does it. He'll talk about it every once in a while. He'll send some emails. He might have a conference call. Yeah. But he, we don't, he's an insurance broker and we don't talk about insurance much. You no, know? <laughs> no, no, he leaves it behind. Well, it is, I mean. It's, and there is something to that. And in, in however way you want to draw a boundary in terms of like the topics that your day takes on, mm-hmm. you're allowed to do that. Yeah. I mean, I, with, with the emails that we get on the show, I, as an example of boundary setting, when we first started, I would write back to every person who wrote in and say, thank you so much for writing in. Um, and then a couple of things happened. The, the things people were, were asking, um, you know, they, they would ask for advice on their mental health, which I couldn't give cause I have no, no training for one thing. Um, and they would also lay down some really heavy stuff. And it was often in the form of gratitudes, you know, saying, I've been suffering with this a long time. Uh, I've heard your show and it's helped me get on the road to feeling better. Or in some cases, I would get email of like, your show saved me when I was about to do something really, yeah. really bad. And that is a, a heavy load to bear. And um, we eventually put in a little bounce back message saying, thank you for your message. Uh, we're reading it. We can't respond to everybody in case you're looking for help. Here are some resources. And eventually I told people on, on the air, I read every message that comes in. I read every email that comes in, which is true, but I cannot start a bunch of little relationships with, uh, with everybody who writes in because it just is too heavy a weight on my shoulders. Right. And I I don't say it often enough, but I also read every single message that comes in and do not respond to everything. There was a time where I felt like I needed to because people were sharing such yeah, such amazing things and they were so grateful, but it is a lot of weight to take on. Yeah. And I think we should probably institute the same kind of automatic bounce back so people know that we do hear them. Uh, and w- of course, we don't get the same kinds of like specific ask for mental health help. Yeah. Although on the show, this show will get a trigger warning. A lot of the shows get a trigger warning. We always mm-hmm. offer um, the Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network and the Crisis Text Line, which is a great, great service because it's not just for emergencies. That's what I love about it. Right. Is that it's for any time you feel overwhelmed. They can help talk you through it. They can help you find a more permanent resource if you need it. Mm-hmm. Um, what a wonderful use of this technology. And that brings me to a way that maybe people listening can can think about 
how to apply this idea of boundaries and not taking in on everything themselves. Not every Facebook message deserves an answer. Not every tweet deserves an answer. (laughs) Not everything your, your grandma or your uncle or these people in your lives that might say something to you that seems like it should be engaged with. Yeah. Doesn't always need to be engaged with. And you, you don't need to engage with everything. I remember that from way back in the days of phones. (laughs) When we would talk on telephones, phones. remember them? It, it, <laughs> Gary Gullman is a comedian who says, now the phone is just an app on your phone. Mm. Yeah, the, the the seldom used phone app. Yeah. Um, but I started to think of a phone call as an invitation and not a demand. Like right. you were invited to answer this ringing sound or this, you know, if you have the caller ID, talk to this person. But you are not required to, you're not compelled to. And the other the other thing I've been thinking, too, is you don't have to have an opinion on everything and you don't have to share it with everybody. You know, we're not the world won't stop spinning if we don't know what you think on a particular issue. I mean, I think of that in terms of all this stuff that's just starting to to boil up in in Congress now. And I'm sure by the time this show airs, which isn't very long from now, yeah. you know, we'll more names will be named. It's going to be all over the place. And I don't know what to do about it, but I don't have to know what to do about it. And I don't know, you know, I, I can share thoughts if I choose. The world isn't expecting me to lay down my own policy. And you know what? I'll just offer this is a little more on my show territory here, which is that, you know, a lot of men could just consider that that might be possible. <laughs> yes. Men and men particularly Instead could consider <laughs> that maybe this debate about sexual harassment, sexual assault doesn't need them to weigh in. Maybe it needs them to sit down and shut up and listen for a while. What do you know? Yeah. That could be a perfectly fine way to engage. That is a kind of engagement to listen. Yeah. And I would also say that um you know some of the email that I get is from people who are a member of some kind of marginalized community. Uh, who have to deal with a, a relative or a colleague or a coworker who has said something or done something racist, sexist, homophobic, all that stuff. And I always offer to those people, it is not your job to police those people unless mm-hmm. you want to, unless you have the bandwidth to do it. Yes. But it is actually like on a lot of us white, cis, straight people and men yes. <laughs> to do more of that policing. Yeah. Uh, and and so don't think that it's your job. I mean, a lot of them, I mean, I don't think everyone does, but I always want to affirm specifically. Not yeah. Your job. Not your job. I uh, my my daughter, my middle daughter uh, is a little person. She was born with dwarfism. And I spent the first several years of her life as an angry crusader. Mm. Um, if somebody would stare at her, I would confront them. That'd be hard not to do, I have to say. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's my kid. And and as a. Uh, a white, straight, cis guy. Able. Able. <laughs> uh, I've never really known right. what it is to be marginalized in any meaningful way. And uh, so I would confront people on the street. If I would hear uh, the word midget being used in media, I would contact that media outlet. Um, you know, radio shows, newspapers, TV networks. I did it all. And I did it for years. And as my daughter got older, I realized how mortified she was when I would Mm. do something like that. And I kind of came to a realization with her uh, that and and with my wife that 
it, just because someone's dumb doesn't mean I have to correct them. It's not my job. Um, I hope they get less dumb, but uh, I, I don't have to do that. And I asked her, she's a ninth grader now. I'm like, well, how do you handle it when somebody doesn't get what dwarfism is and isn't? She's like, well, I just, you know, they can catch up on their own. <laughs> wonderful kid yeah it just saves her a lot of hassle if you have previously listened to this show you've heard me talk about framebridge they make it super easy and affordable to custom frame your favorite things from art prints and posters to photos on your phone the new york times says framebridge is the company that won me over and is worth every penny and with the holidays just around the corner framebridge is the perfect way to send truly one-of-a-kind gifts to everyone on your list here is how it works Go to framebridge.com and upload your photo from your computer or directly from your Instagram feed. Or if you have a physical item, they will provide secure prepaid packaging so you can mail it for free. I have said here before, I have done this both ways. I have done an Instagram print of me and my best friend as a gift. And also I have had my letter of congratulations on my marriage from Obama framed. Uh, And that I had to send them through the mail. I was nervous. I... I tell you, and uh, they got it and they did a great job. And also what was also cool is I got a little note from the person that did the framing saying what a neat thing it was to have Obama congratulating me and my husband on our marriage. And it is a neat thing. I am next going to actually have them uh, try to help me out with a wall hanging, which is a little bit out of their area of expertise, but I bet they're going to make it work because they've been so helpful. And the expert team at Framebridge, uh, as I said, they will custom frame your item in days, not weeks or months, and they'll deliver your finished piece directly to you or your loved ones, along with a handwritten gift note. And the best part, instead of hundreds that you would pay at a framing store, their prices start at $39 and all shipping is free. Plus, my listeners will get 15% off their first order at framebridge.com when they use my code FRIENDS. Framebridge even offers a happiness guarantee. If for any reason you aren't 100% satisfied with your order, they will make it right. I, again, have nothing but good things to say about these guys. I will probably be using them a fair amount uh, for holiday giving because, you know, my Instagram is fucking art and I think I'm going to share it with the world. And I'm not entirely kidding. I think they will make great gifts. Um, I hope everyone in my family likes pictures of my cats. And it definitely would be one of a kind, which is one of the things that is valuable about Framebridge is that you are giving something of yourself. Uh, And I think that in these days of mass produced things, uh, that means something special at the holidays. So go to framebridge.com and use promo code FRIENDS to save an additional 15% off your first order. Go to framebridge.com, promo code FRIENDS. In general, uh, something we talk about sometimes on the show, I think that living one's values is the most powerful form of argument. Mm-hmm. To simply be the kind of person, be the change you want to see in the world, as as someone once said. Yeah. And that that can be super powerful, especially in family settings and friend settings. I know that with my my in-laws, who I talk about a fair amount, who are, who are Trump supporters, it is not worth it for me to engage with them every time they say something that I find offensive or incorrect. Yeah. I will admit the incorrect stuff is the hardest for me. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the offensive stuff, I can kind of grip my teeth and like, yeah. and register sometimes my offense. If it's really bad, I will simply say something like, I'm going to have to leave this conversation or mm-hmm. just so you know, like, I, I don't want to be around that, yeah. that. Yeah. And that I think is a, a good 
fine way to talk about it because I'm not like trying to get into it with them. I'm just letting them know what you have said crosses a line for me. Yeah. And I'm going to end my part of this. End my part of it. But this stuff, when they say something that's wrong. Just factually incorrect. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but people never, ever want to be corrected. That is just human nature. People do not want to be corrected. No. Ever in their life. No. Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, you... Then you start a step backwards if you do that. Right. Right. Because then you're then you're sort of on the attack. Yeah. But it's their fault for being wrong yeah. also. Sometimes I will say, and this works better like with my husband than with my in-laws. Well, I'll say, do you want to know something more about that? <laughs> Would you like to hear some something? Is that approach somehow more palatable to well, you than just saying, you know, I think I'd rather be told you're wrong. It makes me feel like I've done what I can. <laughs> like every once in a while, like John will be like, okay, what? You know, yeah, and right. like he'll at least, because we've been doing this a long time and also because... I talk. My goal, by the way, my idea for this episode was to have him on, but he doesn't. Oh. He says maybe maybe like hundredth episode, year anniversary, uh. or something. Like maybe <laughs> maybe then. But because like what our relationship has been like over the past, you know, five years, but especially the past two years, has been this process of like living one's values rather than arguing. Mm. You know, like we could have argued a lot over the past couple of years, right? But instead, I did my thing, he did his thing, and now we've come to a place where we're. I mean, I'll say I think he's come over more on my side. Uh-huh. <laughs> but the point is that I, it was an invitation on my part. It wasn't like a you'd have to agree with me. And it wasn't a tactical pursuit. It was right. like, I'm just going to you're going to wear your mental, comfortable clothing. Yeah. And you're not going to uh, to try to try to be something you're not. You're just going to be who you are and then. Let that do. Then I having faith in does. sort of his what I thought what I thought was and feel like I've been confirmed to be has been confirmed to be like his innate goodness and curiosity about the world and a wanting to be better person in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you have someone like that in your life, like that's the person that's the gettable vote. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but again, it doesn't take arguing. It doesn't it's not about arguing with that person. It's about just showing them what you think and why you think it. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, and accepting that you can't, there's only so much you can do and there's only so much you want to do. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've recently been thinking uh, about how I kind of thought that in my life, we'd get to a much better place as a society where the racists. Would, <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing, but I yeah. know. Go ahead. It's funny. Well, no, Obama made us think that. Well, maybe. Yeah. Um, but just in general, like with the, the broad sweep of history, I thought, OK, there are the really hateful racists and, uh, you know, and not just like Southerners, but like all over the world racists. But they're but we're more connected now and we can understand each other more and they're all going to die and then we're going to live in a better place. And <laughs> like I, as I get the as natural I get, selection theory of, yeah, of social progress. Yeah. Right. And uh, the older I get, I think I, I'm not going to make it there. Mm-hmm. Like that's not going to happen on my watch. Um, or maybe that's just not how the world goes. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it doesn't trend toward. The better place ultimately. And 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 that's even more of a reason to just say, okay, live, live your best self, live your truth, uh, be, you know, golden rule, do unto others, the whole thing. Um, as just sort of as a almost as a means of giving up. Like, <laughs> well, here, it's not, here's it's, a virtuous way of abandoning it's, it's hope. It's <laughs> not surrender, it's recognizing what you do and don't have 
power over or influence and on. Don't addicts have a sort of yeah, saying we do. about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a powerless. I always, it's one of it's like AA splaining, which uh-huh. is like the first step is not admitting you have a problem. The first step is admitting you're powerless over your problems and that you only have a limited amount of control. And what you can control is, for instance, am I going to drink today? Right. Right. Am I going to do this today? And I actually, over the course of the past almost year we've been doing this show, I have come to believe that society's sicknesses um, do benefit from a lens of 12-step recovery Mm. because things like, we talked with Rim Brown about this when he did his Colin Kaepernick piece, which is that white supremacy is a kind of addiction. Mm -hmm. And that when we talk about fixing it or doing something about it, uh, people of color don't want apologies, you know? Right. They want change and they want uh, what we would consider, you know, in AA or any 12-step program, an amend. Mm-hmm. An amend is not an apology. An amend is making things whole. Mm-hmm. And you can apologize all you want for it, when, especially if one is like currently like in their addiction. There's a lot of apologies that happen, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so, I never again. So sorry. So sorry. So sorry. And they can be heartfelt. Yeah. But unless you're actively doing something about it, they don't mean very much. Right. Right. So I've uh, a couple people I've interviewed on my show uh, have talked about dealing with depression and anxiety by going to Al-Anon, mm-hmm. uh, which in uh, in both their cases, I think they were proximate to an addict in their lives. And Al-Anon is for people. Uh, it's not a, just an abbreviation for Alcoholics yeah, Anonymous. It, it's a weird. It's a weird name. <laughs> it's a but weird what it name. means, it's for the friends and loved ones of alcoholics. If you have someone yes. in your life who's an alcoholic. I know people who do who who go there because of a connection to a colleague sometimes, yep. Yep. family member, friend, boyfriend, girlfriend. Yeah. Um, and so I know people who've gone there because they were proximate to an addict. Uh, and even when that kind of moved through and, and they were capable of dealing with it, the, they kept going back to Al-Anon because it served them well in dealing with depression. Mm-hmm. Because it's this thing that is in your life that you can't... Uh, that you kind of have to deal with and you have to know who you are as opposed to what this thing is doing because with, with depression and I've been, uh, I've had addicts in my family. Um, there, there's a absence of personhood Mm -hmm. where you think, well, you know, if I just explain that all this drinking is really bad and destructive and it hurts me, then they'll stop because that's what makes sense. And, and then it doesn't. And you feel like, well, a person would be able to have some sway over this person and I can't. And so you start to think, well, maybe I'm just less than a regular human being. Maybe I'm, maybe I don't have value, mm-hmm. you know, or I have less value. It's me. Than There's something people. wrong with me that this person won't change. Right. Right. And so when you're dealing with this amorphous monster, be it depression or a, addiction uh, of a loved one, it's, it's, it's instructive to think, okay. And it's really about boundaries. Like mm-hmm. where are my boundaries? What are the boundaries to my power? And what are my boundaries to the power in a, in a normal situation as opposed to a, one of these situations. And for those that don't know this, but all of the 12 steps in Al-Anon are the same exact 12 steps in AA mm. or NA or uh, any any gambling, Gamblers Anonymous, they all have the exact same 12 steps. Usually the only thing that's different is the first, is the word in the first step. 
mm. which is in AA, it's powerless over alcohol. Uh huh. And in other 12 step programs, gambling, narcotics. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But they're the same exact steps. And what they emphasize, yeah, is that uh, powerless over this thing that is not a person, whether it's addiction or, or a person with addiction. Uh, and also it emphasizes what you can control, which is just your own actions. Yes. You must take full responsibility for them. Yeah. Like you, and, and make amends when one does something out of step with your values. I, we sometimes talk to li- just listeners on our show instead of uh, professional funny people. And uh, I got this tip that I've, I love from a, a listener, uh, Bree Tarkware, who lives in St. Paul, and she named her anxiety Steve. And so when she she's got really bad anxiety and when it really flares up and it says like, hey, go jump off this tall building, um, she can say, oh, that Steve. What a, you're, and Steve is just this idiot who follows her around and offers terrible advice and so she knows that she is not steve but her anxiety has the name steve and i said well what does he look like and she said well he's kind of like you know kind of skeevy looking and like he's trying to wear hip young people clothes and i'm like oh like steve buscemi (laughs) so basically her anxiety is steve buscemi the how do you do fellow kids exactly and yeah how do you (laughs) You do fellow kids. Yeah, that sounds, that's good. I always actually, the one thing I was going to say, when we talk about what we can and can't um, do about our depression, anxiety, or racism in the world, um, and, and taking care of, it's often framed like your side of the street. The thing is just, is to behave within, again, living your own values. Uh, and also to know that there are things you can do on a daily basis. And this is especially applicable to people dealing with depression, anxiety, that it's your responsibility to do. Like mm-hmm. take your meds, see your doctor, get exercise, you know, uh, eat, eat, which is yes. the thing that I am terrible. I'm, well, I'm actually okay at eating, like in terms of like getting the food into my mouth. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> right. you know, how you know, I the know, mechanism, I know how yeah. to eat. Sure. I, am, I am terrible at reminding myself to eat. Uh, often I find when I'm feeling really apocalyptic about the world, what I really need is a turkey sandwich uh-huh. like that. It's just every, all the problems just suddenly like <laughs> just disappear. Sets you right? <laughs> if, I, if I have a trick sandwich. Anyway, because um, if you let those little things that you do have control over pile up, you will eventually get to a place where you don't have control. Yes. Where you are going to, where Steve is going to have yeah. more power than he deserves. Where Steve's calling the shots. Yeah. If you just chip away at your own, your own base there. Right. Right. And I mean, I often think of uh, depression in, in sort of, anthropomorphic terms as you know uh, something that wants to fester like mm-hmm. diseases like it's their main thing they love festering mm-hmm. and with depression uh the more intense it is the more you feel like just cutting off from the world and of course once you do that the worse it gets even from there and so it just keeps compounding like the symptoms of it lead to the exacerbation of it and it just gets worse and worse and it's really sinister yeah. And you do you do undercut undercut what power you do have, like the disease starts to overtake the host. Yes. You know? Yeah. Um, and you become you become the disease. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> so I'm trying to think of, you know, first I will insert a break here okay. because there are ads. Sure. Ads for a break. Got to pay. Yeah. All right. Um, and we're back. I kind of want to get back to like some more more concrete things that people can do to kind of take care of themselves in these turbulent times, which often do feel worse mm-hmm. around the holidays. Mm-hmm. I know you did a whole episode about uh, 
tips and tricks and things that make people feel better? Yeah, yeah. We uh, we put together a holiday. I think we called it our holiday coping mechanism spectacular. And uh, what really was driven home to me is that there is there is no uh, best practices. There's no clear solution. There's no formula that everybody needs to try. I mean, like everything else with with mental health and with trying to sustain or improve mental health, it's just a lot of trial and error. Um, I talked with uh, the medical director for NAMI for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and he said, yeah, psychiatric training doesn't really go into this. <laughs> doesn't go into <laughs> the holidays. He said, you know, the best you could do is learn from what's worked and what hasn't worked in holidays past. Um, you know, if you if you drink, keep an eye on that. Mm. And if you've got issues with church that are bad, stay, you know, stay away, stay away. Yeah. If church helps, go to church. Yeah. You know, it's like you talk about with prayer, like yeah. prayer helps do that. Yes, that would totally <laughs> if it help. If it doesn't it's not working, don't don't. Yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. But I mean, you know, I heard everything from just sit there and play video games and ignore everything for two days to. No, you need to go running, uh, you know, vigorous runs or, you know, or what worked for me. Everybody had something different. My my favorite line I keep coming back to, Amy Mann said, you know, but if you're with family, remember that families are a bag of triggers. <laughs> it's just a bag of triggers. And, they are. Uh, yeah. Yes. I've loved that term ever since. They're a bag of triggers. Big, bright, red blinking lights on them yes but uh but yeah so so how i mean we've got we've got some different and some overlapping mental illnesses yes so we're talking about how how to just get through how to just get through get through life get through life especially the holidays and i i think what's important about that you know you're saying there's all these different things and there's both on on some people's list is running and on some people's list is play video games Mm -hmm. i always think of it as uh, let's say a bag of tricks, yeah. like a t- bag of tools. Right. And that sometimes one tool works and another doesn't. And sometimes you what the, the thing is to just not give up on finding yeah. the tool. The yeah. thing is to know that there's kind of it's a kind of a bottomless toolbox yeah. and that you can always kind of find more things to do. And eventually you will eventually, if nothing else, going through all the tools will get you through it. Yeah. Because yeah. what what all of these things really are is just um, strategies to keep you from engaging in harmful behavior until that urge to do harmful behavior passes. Mm-hmm. That is all those things are because yeah. it will pass. And that's something that I often have trouble believing when I'm in it. Yes. It, that um, like uh, impulses to do self-harm or impulses to um, have suicidal ideation, that those things will stop. I've, in, the, in the middle of it, it's like, no, this is going to last forever. I'm yeah. never going to think a different way. An impulse to drink, I'm always, I'm always going to feel this way, and it'll, that's a lie. That's that's just Steve, mm-hmm. you know? yeah. <laughs> Whoever your Steve is, yeah. No, that 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 it passes is is really, uh, it's the hardest thing in the world to believe when it's when it's at its darkest. I remember when when uh, as I talked about in our first long conversation um, when my brother died. He died in in San Diego, and I flew down there from Seattle, where I was living. And I, when I got to San Diego, it was already dark, and we got to the hospital. He died around midnight, um, and then after a while, there was nothing to do but go to a hotel. And so we went to a hotel, 
and I didn't sleep really. And then I saw the sun come up the next day and it's, it's very corny in some regards, but I'm like, I was legitimately surprised when it did. I'm like, huh, there's just, and then like, I saw people driving on the freeway I'm like that, you know, it, it seems so strange and it wasn't even comforting. It was cause like, how can that be happening when this happened? But it just does. It just, it just goes on and then the sun comes up and then rain comes or whatever happens um, that, that it'll move to a new phase. And I think for, you know, there's a good chance it'll move to okay at some point and maybe not great all the time where you're laughing and skipping. I hope not. Cause that would be horrible for everybody, <laughs> but, but like it'll, it'll move to something of a status quo. It may be a new status quo. It may be a different reality, but it'll move to a place resembling normalcy because your brain will make it to yeah. it that way. Are you always losing your stuff? It stopped being cute years ago. Now you are just annoying everyone who knows you. That's a real. <laughs> oh, tracker copy. I don't need your help to make me feel bad. I do lose things. I am that person. Uh, my husband is my human tracker. Uh, and he's the one who always, when we're leaving the house, do you have this? Do you have that? Do you have this? Do you have that? And I used to get annoyed by it, but then I realized I often didn't have this, that, or the other thing. And tracker is the thing that will allow me to live independently of my husband if I so choose. I actually gave trackers as gifts to my extended family last year because I made a little card that said, like, as long as we don't lose track of each other, you know, I also don't lose track of your phone or your wallet. Uh, I didn't, it was more eloquent than that. I can't remember exactly what I said, but it was a great gift. And I think these would be great gifts again this year for your family, perhaps. The Tracker Pixel, uh, which is what they have now, is the lightest Bluetooth tracking device on the market. Put it on whatever you tend to lose, keys, wallets, purse. It is small enough to fit anywhere. And when you misplace an item that has Tracker Pixel attached, you can use your smartphone in a 90 decibel alert will help you find it in seconds. I would vote for a volume control on that. It is very helpful and it has powerful LED lights so you can find anything even in the dark. And if you lose your phone, you just press the button on the tracker and your phone rings, even if it's on silent. And you can even locate your item if it's miles away because tracker users are a part of the largest crowd locate network in the world, like Waze, but for finding things. And Tracker's 30-day money-back guarantee means you truly have nothing to lose, which I've been reading that for a long time and just got the joke. Anyway, Tracker makes a great gift during the holiday season. Save 20% on your order when you go to the Tracker, which is T-H-E-T-R-A-C-K-R dot com slash friends. The Tracker dot com slash friends for 20% off. When I'm having tough days, which still happen, uh, and I had some, like everyone, some stuff happened this past year. You know, I left MTV um, I left the Times, mm -hmm. uh, both places that I would have happily stayed, but let's say I left mm -hmm. um, and had periods where I felt like doing bad stuff yeah. and had bad days where the, why I call it, it's not Steve, it's the tape loop in my head. I think I, that's how I refer yeah. to it when we talked is the, right. the self-hating tape loop. That's the messages of self-hate and self-harm <clears> that just like play. I, I have this image of a reel to reel in my head and everything. And um, some days... It's actually almost great when here in Minneapolis, um, 
it starts to get dark like at four mm-hmm. <laughs> because on a rough day, I can be like, all right, day is over. Right. This is over. Shut it and down. it was a win because I didn't do any of the things I'm not supposed to do. I didn't drink. I didn't hurt myself. I didn't do anything like, so it's a win. It's in the books as a win. Yeah. You, you got the W. I got the W and tomorrow, well, it'll be different. Mm-hmm. It may not be better. Right. But it'll be different. Right. Right. <laughs> be there will new. be a new chapter to the story. And and I have an, another opportunity to get the W if yeah. I just wake up in the morning and take care of myself in the ways that I need to take care of myself. Yeah. And I think I referred to this when we talked to it. Like, I actually give myself a gold star at the end of the day. Literally? Literally. Nice. I, have a, I, have a, I have a sheet of gold stars that I replenish at start. Uh, at Target, uh, every year they do the back to school like, uh-huh. things. They sell gold star- sheets of gold stars. And uh, if I got through the day without doing any of the stuff I'm not supposed to do, yeah, it's a it's a gold star day. There, I did it. There you go. And it's it's it reminds me that is all I have to do. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of just make it. Yeah, yeah. You just just get through it, and you're doing fine. Yeah, and then tomorrow will be different. And sometimes, honestly, obviously, sometimes it's a little worse. But you know what? It is different, which reminds me that things change. Right. And I also know I have enough experience and have heard enough other people talk about their experience that I know that it doesn't always get worse, Mm -hmm. that it will sometimes get better. And in fact, based on my own experience and all the testimony I have from other people, it usually gets better. Uh Given enough time and doing all the things you're supposed to do, the self-care, the kind of doctors, meds, exercise, eating, all that stuff, it will get better. I've, it's gotten better in the past. I have no reason to believe it won't get better in the future. Yeah. yeah well, and that's a gift of, of age and, and wisdom a little bit that you've- And listening to other people yeah. and like listening to the, the kind of conversation that we're having and people who are, have been through it and say, no, really, yeah. if you can get through this, it'll get better. Yeah. Well, and, and it is- and that's not too, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's one of those simple, but not easy things. The answer is easy. The solution is hard. Yeah. And so to say, yeah, I'm doing fine or, you know, I'm, I'm getting the W I'm getting the gold star. Um, that's a lot of work sometimes to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I run into this with, um, with my family. Cause I think, I mean, cause with, with parenting kids, the, all I ever hope for is to be a terrible dad in a different way than the other terrible dads <laughs> that have come before me. I can't, I don't even feel it's realistic. I mean, it's tongue in cheek, but I, uh, I make mistakes left and right. And I, you know, tell my kids when I make mistakes, well, that's the first mistake I've ever made. And mm. they, and they laugh and they, they get it. And, uh, but to, to just give myself the permission that that what I'm doing is okay, but I I also feel this constant need, and, and I think I can't imagine this is unique to to media work and the kind of work we do. I always feel like I have to kind of be coming up with the next hustle all the time, mm-hmm. um, you know, the next book project, the next you yep. know, speech that I'm giving, whatever it I is. I think that's pretty common to like late capitalism. Yeah. Yeah, I think it yeah. is like to, to it's the experience of a human un- underneath late capitalism. Yes. <laughs> uh, late stage capitalism. Yeah. Your capitalism has become very serious. 
<laughs> and we may have to operate. <laughs> You're being moved to an economic hospice. Um, <laughs> if one of us could do a Bernie impression, like that right, would be like right, the place to do right, that now. <laughs> right. But no, it's like I, um, you know, for whatever reason, and I and I don't know if it's if it's economic in nature or if it's like a mental health thing where I think, okay, uh, career is going pretty well, but that soon I'll be exposed for the fraud that I am and it'll all come crashing down. And, uh, uh, you know, I'll be working, uh, retail in the, in the back room. Uh, I, I fully expect that at any moment. And so I, I don't know if it's like an additional hustle to kind of keep myself valuable to the world because I don't feel valuable enough to myself as it is, but, uh, but I've also been doing it for so many years that I don't really know how to stop. Yeah. I think that that I want to believe it's not something that's specific to media or politics. Mm -hmm. It probably and I do think it is connected to late capitalism because I think it's a product of the gig gig economy, which we yeah. are becoming more and more, yes. you know, as as people move jobs and take on contracting jobs more and more. And it is also something that's exacerbated if you have any kind of mental difficulty, mm -hmm. um, any kind of self-image difficulty which can occur because of a genuine mental illness or can occur because you're a member of a marginalized group and are told over and over and over that you have to prove your worth yeah that you have to do something different than than everyone else because you have an extra people think less of you unless you show that you're worth more right you start on in the losing side right so i think it's an actually pretty pretty common experience um i think you know Straight white men are probably getting it more now than they used to. The long overdue comeuppance. <laughs> um, but it is it is it is harmful. Mm -hmm. It is a it is a dangerous way to think about yourself. And I, you know, I am. It's, again, we I wear it. I am comforted by my faith, mm -hmm. and because part of my faith is that um, my presence in the world is a gift. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, I am a child of God and have inherent worth mm. and that everyone has inherent worth. And that is a belief that I can make myself cry just thinking about it right now. That's great. I mean, the idea that everyone else and me all, we all have inherent worth. Yeah. It's, it's to contemplate that can get me out of some really dark places. Mm. And it's not the part that I have inherent worth. It's the part about other people having inherent worth. <laughs> <laughs> so does does that help you see their motivations as more positive? Well, no, I mean, because oftentimes people don't have sometimes people don't have positive motivations. Yeah. And what it is, is that their worth is is independent of their motivations. Mm. Like they can choose to squander their worth in the world. They can choose to squander the gift that they've been given. Right. But it starts as grace. It starts as as being there. Mm -hmm. It starts as something that that everyone has. And it's easy for me to believe that you, John Moe, have inherent worth. And if I can believe that, then I can believe that I, I might have it, too. You've got a shot. I might, I might have it, too. Yeah. Because not just you, John Moe, but, like, again, everyone, because it's a gift that's bestowed without favor. Without reservation. Yeah. Without, but, yeah, conditions. Yeah. So it, 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 it is just true, because what I, happens for me all the time is not only am I hustling for my next gig, but I'm hustling for that outside affirmation of my specialness yes. you know yes. uh, i i keep ignorant of the downloads of this thing 
because I do that too. Oh yeah, high five. High five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I get the the spreadsheet I would become, and I don't check. Yep. Nope. Nope. Don't want to know. Don't want to know. And unless unless I'm being promoted, unless my show's being promoted on the Apple Podcast page. I don't check those rankings either. Yeah, I've checked a couple times, but I know the danger, you know, there lies danger if I, if yeah. I look too far, if I look too long. Because also those are lies. The Apple podcast charts are lies. It's an algorithm that no human I know understands. Yes. So, but <laughs> but when we're talking about this, that for other people, and I have to remember, for other people, like that is just, it's absurd to value yourself that way. Yeah. You know, because other people are just thinking about even more, you know, like, subsistence things right and i would not doubt that they have worth right of course they do right of course they do i i um long before i got into to writing or radio or or any of the work that i do now um i was a hardcore actor it Mm. was it was the thing i i identified myself primarily from like the age of 12 until Door. Like yeah, exactly. Until right. actual with capital A. Until well into my twenties, I, I saw myself as this, and and what it was. I mean, I, I had a knack for it. I was pretty good, but I could get applause from other people, you know. Like, and I could get I could get recognized by people involved with whatever play I was doing. That hey, he's pretty good, you know. And and it wouldn't be about was I a good person or did I, Mm. was I a good friend or anything, but I could read a line really well. And so that, you know, I got approval and, Mm -hmm. and I got other people to say I'm good because I couldn't give it to myself. And then it just, it just got out of hand. And I just (laughs) kept doing it all the way through college and beyond. And, uh, and I ultimately like the, the bad reasons for doing it. And it was fun to some extent, but But uh, I started running up against the reality of doing it for a living where you are giving yourself over to these other people in order to make a living. In order to work, other people had to decide you were right for this this thing. And it was such a loss of self. It was Mm -hmm. such a, you know, thing that was out of my my power. And so you got into journalism. Sorry. (laughs) No, I got in. I got into writing because I'm like, at least when I'm writing I'm in charge of what I'm saying here and I can express an idea and I can have, you know, I I can have that out there and I'm still, you know, subjecting myself to, to the approval and whims and spreadsheets and download numbers of, of others or, or carriage on public radio stations for other shows I've done. So I'm still up against this sort of subjective, objective, oppressive reality. Um, But at the same time, it's worked out. (laughs) <laughs> it's worked out pretty well. Yeah, I think about I'm no good at math. I might as well be on the radio. <laughs> I think about this every once in a while because, you know, I, with this incredibly fragile ego <laughs> and this, you know, very um, fragile sense of self, uh, got into a business where I put myself on the line yeah. all the time. Yeah. And I was actually doing the dishes the other night and I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you doing this, Anna? Yeah. Like every, you know, you're, why did you get into a business where you could, if you want to, judge yourself by all these outside metrics? I can also, the and the answer I came up with was that that is not the only way to judge myself right. in this business. And that's, that is also a way, a reason to be in it. Because when I write something, I can look at it in terms of downloads, 
in terms of praise, in terms of who who much who will pay me and how much will they pay me? Mm-hmm. Or I can look at it and be like, am I happy that this is out in the world? Yeah. No, I had a real I had a real. Cri- is this a thing that needed to be said? Right. Right. No, I, I I've had a few moral crises in my in my professional life that kind of shocked me with how cliche they felt at the time. Um, I used to work at Amazon.com and I was trying to convince people to buy toys. I was an editor in the toys section of Amazon.com. And then I had a chance to go work in public radio. And if I had stayed at Amazon, I think I would have made a lot of money. You probably would have made a lot of money. Um, but I I couldn't or been replaced by a robot. I yeah, one of the two. Yes, rapidly. Um <laughs> But I had this moment of like, I got to I got to not make things that'll go into landfills. I got to go do that. And then and then with launching the show that I'm hosting now, um, and I think you might have had a a similar experience, like, what can I do to help? You know, like we'll be dead soon. You know, we'll be dust. And can I clean up the place a little bit before I leave? (laughs) And it was it was a real kind of a tough moment and you know i don't know it's i'm surprised by as i get older how important like that the sort of simple moral math of it influences me Mm. you know i did have a similar impulse in starting this show and i will say I have trouble giving myself praise. Mm-hmm. So this is feels risky to say this, but do it, do it. I think this is some of the most important work I've ever done. Yeah, I really do. Um, some of the conversations I've had on this show have changed me. Mm-hmm. Um, the conversation with member Brown uh, about uh, white supremacy in America the conversation with Ira Madison, where we talked about him being my black friend. Mm-hmm. And he confronted me uh, in a very loving way. And I'm lucky. I'm lucky he's my friend. When I was talking about how uncomfortable it makes me to talk about his being black. And he said, Anna, the lives of black people are uncomfortable. And yeah. that he that's that's almost trite, but is never left me. Yeah. Ever. Um, the discussion I had with Alice Wong about disability, where she demanded to be seen as who she was, including as someone who is disabled and needs a breathing apparatus Mm -hmm. and whose concerns are not about um, these happy stories of people getting asked to prom, you know, Down down syndrome, uh, people down syndrome getting asked to prom or scoring touchdowns, scoring touchdowns and and also being called names or or the opposite. She wasn't concerned about being called names. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She was concerned about getting able to live her life with as much dignity as possible. And the name calling is kind of like beside the point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, The conversation I had with Rebecca Schraster just a couple of weeks ago about um, the lens through which we all view Hillary Clinton, like these conversations, I hope that my listeners get a lot out of them, but they changed who I am, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And, and I, and that's not maybe what makes them important, but I have to feel that that is a mark of importance of some kind. If, <laughs> here, here's something I, I have to believe that here's something I haven't told you before, um, which is like I was a, a, a fan of yours from the Wonkette days. And I know that was the dirty jokes. That was, yeah. The insouciance. Yes. Well, that is me. That's me also. Yes. That and on um, on suck.com. Yep. Oh, oh, man. Those are the days. Yeah. And, you know, I was working 
This were you working at Amazon? No, like- this was even before that. I was working like software sales oh, for yeah. a company. And uh, and I really liked your your work. But even like in the Wonkette days, I'm like, I would be so terrified to ever meet this person. <laughs> I would never want to meet this person. I wouldn't want to have a conversation with her because I think she would rip me to shreds. And I I find I found you to be so intimidating. And um and then we were we were introduced by our our mutual friend Rhett Miller. I love saying that by the way. Isn't that great? And <laughs> and I'm you know got to rock talk star to, Rhett Miller. Yeah, our friend the rock star. Yeah. And uh and it was a real cognitive dissonance when I when I got to know you and I think you would you would were probably not the same person you were no. back in those earlier days but I was like oh this is a real education in people <laughs> like, this is <laughs> this is an opportunity to to understand people in a different way and I was so I was so intimidated by you that I that when we did get to be friends I'm like does she think I'm someone else that's more important <laughs> A different John Moe. A different John Moe, perhaps. Is she, Is she confusing me? me with Ira Glass? So, so many people do. Be. It could be. Um, but, it, but it was like, I don't know. I don't know what, what wisdom to glean from that experience. But it, it, was, uh, it was definitely a, a re-reckoning of who you were and then who I was as a result. Well, I'm definitely a different person than I was then. Yeah. Although I'm still that person, too. Yeah. Um, I still like a good dirty joke. Although, you know, it's funny. Like I was thinking about that in terms of uh, our national conversation about sexual harassment. Yes. And how things that used to be funny to me aren't funny to me anymore. And that's okay. And it's okay that they were funny then, kind of. Like uh, the context has changed. Yeah. And and context matters. And who we think our audience is matters. And yeah, but I want to say something about the, the whatever lesson can be gleaned. And I do think that it, it is this, I, I, this, it's hard to have these conversations without occasionally sounding trite or corny, but, um, I'll just do it anyway. Uh, people are not who they seem to be online often. Yeah. And yeah. that is something that, again, if we're loosely organizing this conversation around coping mechanisms that people can can use in their own lives, that's a real important one. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it really is because you you want to be uh, truthful online. You don't want to make up a persona or anything. But the way you present yourself is different given the platform upon which you're presenting. I I will sometimes on Twitter make a joke that you know, might be, might be mean to somebody more powerful than me. Uh, I might punch up once in a while, or I might just say something, you know, that's uh, darker or more negative than people who listen to my show expect. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, I thought you were such a nice guy. And I'm like, I don't want you to think I'm not always such a nice guy. I, you know, I, I'm, I get concerned that people are going to think that I'm a uh, therapist. Well, that I'm a therapist. I don't want to say a better guy than I am, but a a more pleasant and positive guy than I am because I'm not always pleasant. I mean, ask my wife. I'm sometimes highly unpleasant. Um, and so I, you know, I've been thinking a lot about how how I present myself and, and the version of me that different people mm. know. If I may be so bold as to offer a thought that may be interpreted as advice. Okay. Uh, I think that it is helpful and useful to show as many facets of yourself as possible, given the context. Yeah. There's a lot of laughter on this show. Yeah. Uh, 
uh, I know there's a lot of laughter on your show too, but I know you probably aren't as barbed. No. And no. and I'm, I guess, <laughs> I guess, and, and it's not always appropriate, but sometimes, I mean, like, I think this show, we, I try to go ahead and let some of that sharpness mm-hmm. show. Like yeah. like between the calming voice and telling people about trigger warnings and this is where you can get help. I mean, I can do public radio voice too. I was going to say, you should come on over. <laughs> I I go ahead and, and I, I hope give people permission to be sarcastic because yeah. that's a coping mechanism too. Absolutely. I mean, and then, and I, I actually, I want to do a show about humor and, and our current environment at uh-huh. some point. Because <laughs> uh, I'm so fascinated um, by the difficulty that some comedians seem to be having about the sexual harassment, not just like specifically like Louis CK, not just like that, but like, do we change the kinds of things we laugh about and who we laugh at? And, uh, (laughs) what, what do, do you, is political correctness a helpful, helpful thing? No, it's, it's, it's the dumbest, most useless term, but no, the term isn't, but I guess like the new, newish boundaries and awareness. Oh, being aware and being, being, you know, thoughtful, yeah. I think is and very helpful. Going for the easy joke. I've been, this is an example now through, like, I, I try to, when a joke comes to me, uh, before Twitter, I would just, you know, bottle it up inside till it went away. And now, <laughs> now Twitter is just the spigot through which all my jokes drip. Yeah. Um, but uh, through a lot of these uh, accusations and scandals and everything, I haven't known if I could joke about them and I haven't had any good jokes to say. And I've also been trying to think, you know, if you wonder whether it's OK to make the joke, maybe don't make the joke. I think that's a good rule of thumb. And, and I also think there's a difference between making those jokes with friends and yes. making those jokes on Twitter. Yes. And and also, you know, like not everybody needs to hear from from the white guy with the joke where we started right yeah. at the moment. Um, I have been trying to construct a Charlie Rose joke that would work <laughs> based, based around how the cultural understanding of social and sexual mores in the formless black void in which he dwells <laughs> is different from those in the real world. I can never quite get the construction. See, except, except I guess the thing I think now is that that formless black void turns out was telling us something. <laughs> right. It was his soul <laughs> with an oak table in the middle. Yeah. It turns out that's the way where he was operating. Right. Like was in this moral you know, black void. the fact void. that his face looked like Satan in the middle of hell was... <laughs> Perhaps more telling than we realized. We, I, 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 as much as I could just continue talking to you for another hour, we're, we should wrap up. Um, yeah. I was going to say something about Charlie Rose. Oh, uh, my husband was like, I can't believe Charlie Rose. And I was like, you need to start believing. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> like, like, and I know what you mean by that is you're surprised. Yes. I know that the, your words are just a reflection of surprise. Right. But but you can believe it. You can believe it. It's okay to believe it. It's okay to believe it. And also, you need to disassociate like personal feelings of respect and mm-hmm. admiration with what someone is capable of. And I say this, we didn't engage in this at all, but I just wrote an essay about Al Franken speaking of. Mm. Uh, people are capable of doing unpleasant, even evil things and still being the person 
that you thought they were. And it's complicated. And they also doesn't just because they're a good person doesn't mean they also don't need to suffer consequences for their behavior. Yes. Yes. So. There's multidimensionality. Can I can I offer my best weirdest coping mechanisms for yes that's a good that's a wonderful to, wonderful way to close to de- for dealing with mental health issues well obviously um you know understand that that you are many things that you can you are a person with depression and also maybe a red Sox fan there there are more sides to you than you may realize speaking of evil um that uh that depression or anxiety or any of these other things are things that you have and not things that you are. And then also what works for me is to see the weirdest movie possible as far away from my house as I can see it. If there is a movie that has gotten a lot of reviews of where people don't understand, you want to go see the snowman in Duluth. You want to go see the snowman in Duluth. (laughs) You want to go see some French film as far away as you can, because I find Getting away from the little route between my home and my my work and being in a different place and then sitting in the dark, preferably alone, and seeing this thing full of all these other thoughts. When I get out of there, I kind of realize, oh, the world is a big, big place. Mm. And that means I have agency within it, that I am not bound to the thoughts that a mental illness might prescribe me. And I'm not bound to the the uh, negative outcomes that feel inevitable, that I am uh, a free moving thing in the world and I can make decisions and I can change things. So I get that from going to movies out of town. And I can change things is a great place to end the show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Anna. And uh Contact info, not contact info. Uh, John <laughs> Mo's phone, phone number, number will be in the show notes, uh, but we'll put info about your show in the yeah. notes. And we're doing a repeat on the hilarious world of depression of the episode where you and I spoke originally and had such profound and apparently moving conversations. Uh, that's coming out on Monday, November 27th. So if you're listening to it on or after the 27th, go check it out. Yes. On the hilarious world of depression. And just be prepared for, you know, rough, rough stuff. Yes. But it's been great having you on. Thank you so much. Everyone have a wonderful Thanksgiving and a happy holidays. And I'll see you next week. When booking with other vacation rental apps sounds like this. This place doesn't look like the pictures. <laughs> Is there a door behind all those spiders? It's time to try one that sounds more like a vacation. Ah. <sighs> This is perfect. Relax, you booked a Verbo. Packages by Expedia. You were made to be rechargeable. We were made to package flights, hotels, and hammocks for less. Expedia. Made to travel.